Well, it's always a pleasure to be here um, worshiping with you. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's always a taste of what I think it's going to be like in heaven where we get to spend more time with the saints that we can't see regularly. And so I, I, um, I always enjoy the opportunity whenever I'm on the schedule. The, Sam will send out the schedule and then I'll say, oh, I'm not on it. So then it, when my name's on it, I'm like eagerly anticipating it. It's like... Yay, Disney World is just around the corner, you know. But, um, you know, bear with me tonight. Uh, you, so for some of you don't know, I don't see very well. My central vision isn't great. So some of you can probably read this text from where you're sitting. But that's what I need in order to be able to read um, some things. But even with that, um, I was sharing with Sam and uh, with, with um, uh, Skip earlier that uh, I, I end up kind of manuscripting in my head because I can't really follow notes very well, and it's always a little bit nerve-wracking. It used to be that the way I would prepare for sermons is sort of spill out everything that I was thinking over a week, and then I'd have it all in a manuscript, and then I could kind of refine it. And it gave me a little bit more um, sense that what I was going to do was going to be okay from, from, from beginning to end. And I'm always um, wondering how it's going to kind of turn out as you're sort of feeling or experiencing some of the thoughts that I've been thinking about over time, things that I've been meditating upon, and, um, and then uh, what's going to come of that. Because everything, everything, as anybody who prepares for the Word will tell you, you have to take a lot of stuff that you've learned and condense it down into the information that's going to most benefit um, the people you're preaching to. And I really hope that this, this really blesses you tonight. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word, I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. So before we get into this um, passage, I just thought, you know, um, in case you need kind of a catch up of where we are in the book of Ephesians so that this is sort of in its, its context, um, Ephesians 1 sort of has this grand uh, structure about how we're all in Christ and that in Christ all of this richness of redemption has been been planned and accomplished planned from eternity past by the Father that all in Christ might be blessed in him that in union with him we would have all of these uh, amazing spiritual blessings in the church and then Roman I'm sorry and then Galatians Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, then gets into uh, the fact that, that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that we were by nature children of wrath, that that's, that's what our, our 
our nature was, that we were by nature children of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy, saved us in Christ, made us alive together in Christ, and that we're saved by grace. This amazing testimony of the fact that, um, that even though we were by nature children of wrath, God loved us, even though we were by nature unlovable, and by grace saved us in Christ. And, and Paul's just talking about the, the, the majesty that, that God takes us, we who are dead in our sins and trespasses, makes us alive that we may walk in newness of life, that we may walk in righteousness. In Romans, I keep saying Romans. I've always got Romans on the brain because I love that book so much. But I love Ephesians too. Ephesians chapter 3 kind of talks about this mystery that, that Paul has been set aside apart of the gospel. And this mystery isn't like a mystery novel or some sort other kind of thing. But there's this, there's this unfolding of God's redemption in that, that all of the families of the earth that are called out of the world will be one in Christ Jesus. And that Paul has been privileged to call the Gentiles and bring them into the family of God along with the um, the Jews who are in Christ, so that all who are in Christ are united by faith in Christ, and there's just wonderful encouragement that that um, you know uh, this sense in which the solution to all of enmity and that sort of thing is brought about not by people deciding that they're going to have some sort of political or other kind of concern for how they're going to treat one another, but the ultimate problem of alienation is solved by God redeeming a people for himself in Christ Jesus, and that ultimately they all stand in Christ according to the family of God. And so then what Paul gets into in this next um, portion here, the uh, uh, for this reason— um, Paul prays for the church. He gets into this whole um, kind of like this prayer that he has for the saints, which is really a model prayer. And, and, and um, we were talking about the Greek earlier. Um, I do this daily dose of Greek thing. And unfortunately, I can't see the words too well, but I kind of hold it close so that I can kind of see them. And I'm doing it on the elliptical trainer. And, um, and, and, uh, and, and then he'll go through the thing. But if you've ever read this in its original Paul is like the master run-on sentence guy. And, um, you know, it's actually a good, it's a good, uh, that in even learning some of the catechism stuff, it's a good um, exercise in trying to follow an argument and kind of break things down. And so you'll see in this that there's a lot here that's almost like this in in order to, that this would happen, that this would happen, and that ultimately you would have this. And so if you're not paying attention, it's kind of almost um, hard to unpack what Paul's trying to get at. And it's majestic, and so I'll hopefully be able to, um, to bring that out for you. But he says again, we heard, for this reason, starting in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you the strength uh, this, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled with all the holiness of God, or I mean, with all the fullness of God. That's really one sentence. So don't ever feel bad if somebody says you write run-on sentences. Just make sure they're as profound as Paul when you do that, though. <laughs> but let's kind of go through portions of this prayer here, and we're not done. We're going to end up with a, a, you know, kind of a, a, an amazing crescendo here. We're kind of like, you know, um, theology is sometimes when you're, when you're like walking and you're ascending this mountain, and um, you get to the top and the air starts to get really thin. The air is getting really thin here because it's just this a, a incredible majesty. There's this portion here where if you leave here tonight thinking, yeah, I got all that, I, I, I've learned everything I need to know, then you've kind of missed the point of what Paul's trying to get at here, and I hope I'm, I'm, I'm able to drive that home for you. But he prays uh, before the Father, before whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Now, According to the Father, uh, or according to the riches of his glory, um, you know, first of all, I think that the, the thing we need to remember is what, when he says, um, according to whom every family on earth is named, it's not, Paul's not, you know, this is where context makes a difference, right? If you treat the scriptures like a fortune cookie thing, where you just pull a verse out of a fortune cookie, you know, like, oh yeah, here's, here's some sort of aphorism, something that I can live by, and you don't understand where the context is, you could get the, the sense in which what all Paul is talking about, well, everybody in heaven and earth, like all people who live, are, are named according to God. And that's not what that the text is actually trying to say it's actually an interesting use of words here but paul is is hearkening back to what he's already said in ephesians about this ingathering of those who are in christ so that god is the father of everybody who's in christ okay so everybody who's named by christ is 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 in, included in this and what he's talking about here is that um, according to the riches of the, his glory, he wants us to be strengthened through the Spirit in your inner being. Now, uh, one of the things that I think that we uh, lose track of in a lot of cases is our need to be strengthened. And it's going to be interesting what we need to be strengthened for. But the, the, the Holy Spirit is really, um, the, the Holy Spirit without, without him, we would, we would have no power. We would have no strength to do anything of spiritual good. And Paul is actually praying to all of us, and it's a thing that we should be praying for for each of one another, that what we're doing here in one sense in worship, that what we're doing here in, 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 in apprehending God, we need, to, we need the Spirit's power to strengthen us in, in our deepest inner being that we would have the ability to actually um, receive the blessing that, that, that God has for us, that God has for us in worship, that God has for us in, in, in apprehending what he's giving us. Um, I think that there's, there's a real tragedy, um, and one of the things that Bob will probably be you know, showing you in some of these videos, is that we've really lost a sense in which our wills are captive to um, the world. They're captive to principalities and powers, that our wills are not some sort of thing in which, first of all, we tend to think of our wills as being seated in our brain, like, you know, depending on what we ate or how we're wired, and we think, oh, look, some part of the brain uh, lit up during a functional MRI, therefore I know uh, the reason why I like chocolate is because of the medulla oblongata or whatever it is. 
And so we think that we can seed it in some sort of like chemical process or the reason that I just got mad at somebody, I can kind of give some sort of chemical or psychological explanation to it. But the reality is that our wills are much more, are much more profound and deep. There's this inner being thing that we, you know, that at least people in the past understood that you can, you can't, there, there's a point at which you have to almost stop talking to say, I really don't know why it is that I desire the things that I do. What makes my will what it is? What makes my mind desire certain things, whether good or ill? Why, who am I? Why, why do I desire these things? And what, what, what um, the comfort is, is at least we know who knows how that works, right? The one who created us who understands not only the, uh, the will, but also the relationship between, you know, our minds and maybe what we ate and all these other things and all the chemical processes and the spiritual components of those things. And we need the spirit to strengthen us in our inner being that we may be strengthened to be able to do what he's asking. And he says um, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's what he wants us to have our our, he wants us to have our our hearts, sorry, strengthened uh, through the Spirit in your inner beings, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's what he wants us to be strengthened to have. That well, how how does that work? That Christ may dwell in you through faith. That we want to have faith in Christ. Well, isn't that just something that we have, right? Isn't that something that we just trust? But the reality is we need the Spirit's strengthening of that. Now, one of the things that um, I, I was reflecting on, and, and uh, you know, one of the one of the people that I, I like to listen to um, as sort of a, um, uh, if you want a, an auditory um, you know, explanation of the scriptures. It's like, I listen to their sermons because it's like, hey, that's a good sermon. So it's like listening to a, a, uh, another version of like what somebody's going to say. But he was talking about the, the Spirit's work. And there's a tendency now to talk to, 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 to kind of mistreat what the Spirit's uh, work in the world is. And people spend a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts and that sort of thing, or the fact that we've lost track of the Spirit in the Reformed faith. And, and I was reflecting upon that because you would really have to not understand what your own catechism and confessions say about the nature of grace and the work of the Spirit to actually have your minds open to be able to receive Christ and the fact that he's applying, uh, applying Christ to you all the time. But the nature of the Spirit, uh, I think Doug once quoted somebody as saying he's sort of the shy member of the Trinity. Not that he's like, no, don't, don't talk about me, but more that he's not, his ministry isn't to call attention to himself. His ministry is to testify of Christ. And so the analogy this guy gave is that, you know, they, they have this beautiful building in um, Columbia, South Carolina, and it's pink, and so it's lit up by all these bulbs. And dwelling sometimes or just thinking too much about the spirit in one sense is like looking and saying, look at those beautiful halogen bulbs. You know, somebody goes up into, you know, you're in, and, you know, you see this majestic church lit up, and it's just glowing pink in the dark, and, and you're like, wow. And the guy goes, yeah, I know, those halogen bulbs are amazing, aren't they? It's like, no, that's not what I was thinking about. That's, I'm, thinking of what, I'm thinking of what those lights are illuminating to me is the glory of Christ. 
And that's what the Spirit does for us. And don't get me wrong, the Spirit is God. The the Father is God, the the Son is God, the Spirit is God. They are one God. And so the Spirit doesn't miss out on glory in all of this. But the Son is the one in whom we're united, and it's the Spirit's work to strengthen us through faith to be able to apprehend these things. So the Spirit points us to Christ. And Christ is is the root and end of all of our theological contemplation. You know, one of the things that you need to understand when you start thinking about salvation, when you start thinking about all the stuff that you're doing in the church, all the things that you understand about, let's just call it justification, how are you saved? You think about sanctification, how are you made holy? Glorification, how did you come to belief? Regeneration, all those different topics. If you are not thinking of Christ in all of those things, you've lost the plot. You've lost the plot of theology because we don't have the ability to apprehend or have fruit in all of in any of those except that Christ has has died on the cross to put to death the power that would keep us from understanding those and that Christ's redemptive work is being applied by the Spirit to unite us to him so that we die of our sin when we're united to him to be raised again so that everything that we contemplate in one sense is related to Christ our mediator in the Spirit is the one that strengthens us to understand and contemplate what Christ is doing in our lives. And that's what gives us um, strength to do the things that we're doing and the kind of the, the motivation, because as we contemplate these things, as we contemplate the, the work that we're doing in Christ, then um, uh, then we're able to to uh, to have the, str- to, the the motivation to do that. And by the way, if you ever want to stump me with something, it's like bring up a theological topic to me and say, no, I don't think I can. He can't connect that to Christ in any way. I dare you. I dare you to ask me. And I'll bet you I can do it. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I'll show you in the catechism how it connects, too. So um, and then it, and then it, he continues. So then how does this what is the lead of all this that? That, well, first of all, that we, that, that you being rooted and grounded in love, okay? He, he says, you being rooted and grounded in love, and it's sort of a dot, 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 okay? This is what Christ is going to do is that you, y'all, you plural, will be rooted and grounded in love. Not you sitting there by yourself you know, um, saying, I don't need to go to church. I got this online thing or I got my podcast and that sort of thing. Christians are mean, you know, they're hypocritical, whatever. And so I don't need to be around the church. I, I, I can just, I can just be blessed by this right now. And, and, and then I don't have to worry about anybody ever saying or doing anything that's going to um, bother me. No, that's actually the point in one sense, because the work of this is to deal with all of us sinners who are united to Christ. And then he's rooting and grounding us in love. Love so that we're working together. And some of that is the fact that um, sinners like us are the ones that are being rooted and grounded so that we're able to do things together. See, this, the, the, the Spirit um, displays the Son, and as we're united to Him, we are then rooted and grounded together in love so that we might accomplish things together, that we may contemplate things together, not that we may um, hear this message, go off into some mountain, and then contemplate the sound of one hand clapping, but that we might come together and in some ways live out and to think through things together, in some ways to go through conflict together and to work through those things together to be rooted and grounded in love as the Spirit is applying these things to our hearts. So then there's this, okay, so then 
Again, we're dealing with the long run on sentence. So all of that was sort of a preparation for to three ends, right? At least, you know, and you might divide it up differently. And if you're invited to preach, you can fix what I just said. Okay. So uh, first of all, he says that you all may have strength to comprehend what all with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and, de- and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Well, let me start with the first part there. There's this interesting, there's this interesting thing here. It was like, what, what is he talking about? Like, we're rooted and grounded in love, being kind of worked, uh, uh, the Spirit strengthening us to, to have more faith in Christ, to be driven deeper in, in Christ, that we may be rooted in, and grounded in love, so that we could comprehend with all the saints what is, it's almost a dimension, this big thing called the the love of Christ, right? The depth of Christ. And, and in one sense, it's really incomprehensible. I want to talk to you. I'll, I'll get to this later um, as, we t- uh, as we get into this a little bit more. But um, sometimes I'll use the word apprehend and sometimes I'll use the word comprehend. And it kind of goes back to hanging around with a bunch of theological geeks. And you learn a lot of language that way, actually. You get really good at vocabulary. So you should, re- you should read that, especially if you're young and you've got to take SATs or something like that. I wish I had done this earlier in life. But... Um, you know, if you apprehend something, you can kind of like understand, like, I apprehend that two plus two equals four. Okay? If you comprehend it, that's kind of apprehending math, right? You kind of have a working knowledge of it, or at least kind of an understanding. Comprehend, sometimes we use the, the word comprehend, like, I understand. But to comprehend something is to actually know everything about it. Like, you have a comprehensive knowledge of, I don't know, some subject. Like, the Marvel Universe. James actually comprehends the Marvel Universe, so that's a good example of that. And I think he, maybe he knows, maybe there are a few things he doesn't know, but I'm pretty sure he does. Comprehend the Marvel Universe. He can tell you what's in the canon and all that other stuff. But we don't really comprehend much of anything in life, in anything in reality. We actually have to apprehend and we have to lay hold in one sense the work that's going on here to, to talk about the bigness of the fullness of Christ, the riches of his glory, the riches of these things is like what he's praying for is that you would have your mind blown together to understand how big the love and riches of Christ is. Because normally we're like this, you know. And I was, I, you know, sometimes we don't have a sense of bigness because we're just kind of like driving, we're doing that sort of thing. It doesn't help that I can't see very far anymore. But the point is, is that we don't often, aren't, we aren't overawed by how big things are how, and how small we are. And so we tend to make, we tend to kind of live our own little universes, and especially in this culture, kind of increasingly make things more about ourselves so that our universe of what is great and that sort of thing becomes really small. In fact, since, you know, I'm going just wherever my mind takes me, the, um, the, the funny thing about uh, culture is that they used to note, and some of you who are like, a lot of you have a lot of this gray stuff on, on your head. This, I dye it this way, so I look wise. I actually have none in real life. But um, the, uh, 
they, they point out that if you look at pictures of the 50s um, and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, think about that in your head, right? And you can kind of think about like, oh, if I saw a picture of a car or a person in a dress or the clothing that they were wearing, you would identify that it was in that decade. And then around from about the 90s on, it actually becomes really hard to tell the fashions apart from one another. They just start to become kind of like not much different. In fact, most of the most of the uh, the cultural production is like going back to things that were like done in the 80s or things like that. They keep remaking old things, and part of that is because we've gotten so used to getting it our own way that we've lost imagination. We have no cultural imagination left because everybody's just saying, yeah, give me more of what I want in my head, what my imagination thinks that, that, that's out there. Whereas before, it used to be that, there were, that, that people were generating new ideas because everybody wasn't saying, no, no, I want, I want more of what I like, right? And so take that for what it's worth. The point is, is that we can kind of become so inward focused that we lose track of the bigness of the universe outside of what we're trying to, to control everything around us to be like. And God is definitely doesn't fit in one of those boxes that we like to, to think that he might. And Jesus, in the love that he has for us, the fullness of that is just so much bigger. The richness of that is just so much bigger that we, would, um, we could ever comp, uh, comprehend. So then we also, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. So um, I think that this is one of those things that we need to, to kind of really get our heads around. The idea that we could be filled with the fullness of God. It's really sort of the idea that, that what God could do for us in Christ, that we would, we would be fully pursuing that. For ourselves and for one another. You see, when we, when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, Christ didn't just walk by and say, I love you exactly the way you are right now, and I don't want to do anything to change you because you're absolutely perfect the way you are. He came to us as sinners, dead in our sins and trespasses, by nature, children of wrath. And the glory of the gospel, beloved, is that he united, to a, he united us to himself while we were still filthy and rags and sin and filth. And we still battle that, right? We still have that, we still have that come up from within us. It still bubbles up occasionally. And, and, well, it bubbles up all the time, actually, if you're paying attention to it. It's like, well, I'm not going to use a gross analogy about a toilet, but you think about it. But the, the point is, we are a cesspool of iniquity, and we're united to Christ, and Christ is in there making us holy. And we're supposed to be rooting out within our own hearts and saying, I'm going to put that to death within me because that was of the flesh that Christ has given me power to overcome. And I'm going to be helping other people to put to death the sins in their life. And together we're going to be pursuing progressively as Christ, as we're united to Christ, he is making us holy so that we may receive the fullness 
of what God the Son has for us as we're united in him. The amazing thing of that is that we would have no fruition at all. We would have no ability to have any kind of benefit uh, of God because it'd be like touching infinity and wherever you touched it you would only see like a certain dimension of it but we're united to Christ because in his humanity we have a sense of what we can kind of get our heads around as creatures to think Christ really loves me I understand him he understands me and he's he is as the second person of the Trinity fully God and fully man so in him we are connected to the fullness of God and we have this wonderful thing about what God is doing in all of us together as we are strengthened to be brought together in um, knowledge and to understand the the fullness of what God has for us now I want to bring in this is where I kind of get kind of excited to talk about two things and you guys are going to be leaving tonight saying man First of all, I didn't realize the sermon was going to go this long, but you don't have youth groups, so you're going to hang in there. But the second thing you're going to say is that I never knew that learning about ectypal and archetypal theology would be so amazing. And you're saying, what ectypal and archetypal theology? I, I got my head around this years ago, and I've never lost my wonder in the fact of, in, in a simple way, it sounds fancy, and you can kind of use it in a dinner conversation, and then people go, that dude's really smart, or that, that lady's really smart. Um, and really all it means is that God, as he is in himself, he knows things of himself that are of the creator. That's archetypal knowledge. He has a knowledge of himself in everything that is the way that the creator thinks about all things. And we don't have that. You know why? Anybody have a guess? Because we're not the creator. That's the answer. And the biggest problem in many Christian systems is thinking that it's like, okay, Bob Rumbaugh, but smarter, okay? Just like a really, 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 really smart Bob Rumbaugh, right? Like if, if we could just get enough knowledge in our brain, then we would understand something exactly how God would know it. But that's not the way it works. In everything, every time that people try and say, you know what, I'm going to try and understand God as I bring him down to my human understanding of the way creation works, the way reality works, the way I, what I think is good, what I think is right, and what I think an analogy between what this and that is, and, and, then, and then it fails because we are creatures. We have ectypal that's knowledge of the creature about all reality and the and the truth of it is is that everything is created in relation to god there is no thing there is no thing that is not related to the creator who created it that means there's nothing that is not related to that and there's no there's no aspect of investigation that we can say I, I need to I need to think about that I need to think about love and justice without relation to God and then I'm going to judge God according to that 
See, the reality is, is that creatures, we have a dim reflection. And what God has to do to us is he has to lisp to us. He has to talk to us in ways that the creature can understand. And at best, what we'll ever have, even when we're in glory, is we will have a creaturely knowledge where our minds are just going to be completely blown. We're going to be like, oh my gosh, that's just amazing. And we're still not going to have any... Any of any more, we're not going to even be approach the knowledge of the infinite because we're just going to still be finite creatures uh, amazed by God's word. So before you guys start to despair and start to worry about like, well, this thing, this this sermon needs to have some breadth and height and depth, you know, it needs to end at some point. I want to I want to kind of end with or, or get to the, the, the last couple verses here and kind of conclude with some thoughts here. But. In verses 20 to 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, I want to I talk real quick. Um, I want to introduce this thing. I want to talk to our problem about identity. And... This is the first and last time. It might not be the last. I don't want to make this promise. But it, it be the first time that I've ever quoted Karl Marx in a sermon. And, and I'm not, it's not original to me. It's something Carl Truman brought up recently because a lot of people don't realize what, um, that when Karl Marx talked about the uh, opiate of the masses, here's actually the, the, the extended context when he said that. He said, religious suffering is at one and the same time the expression of real suffering and a protest against real suffering. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of a soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of opium of the people. Now, up to the part where he said it's the opium of the people, you can kind of agree with him. But what, what Karl, Karl Marx actually had his finger on is that there's real suffering in the world. There's real things that the world causes us to, to sigh and say, this is, this is really oppressive. Now, what Karl Marx thought was that, well, people invent religion because they've got to somehow cope with it and they've got to create some sort of reality to kind of help to give a soul to this soulless condition, this 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 fact that we're just if 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 all we are is atoms in motion and colliding, and what am I going through all of this for? This despair and everything else. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because Carl Truman made a great point, and I want you guys to meditate upon this too as you think about the culture and what we're dealing with right now. We are in a period uh, that is well called kind of liquid modernity. And the point that he makes in a good book called The Triumph of the Modern Self, must read. Uh, it's a great book about describing where we are in, the, in a philosophical and cultural moment over centuries, the way that you and I are conditioned to think. He points out that um, centuries ago, there's James, James Lino, the Finnish kid. Um, he's plowing in the field. And it's the 1650s. His father is a farmer. His father's father, father's father was a farmer. His father's father's father was a farmer. And I could keep going that. And James is plowing, and he's not thinking, gosh, 
what am I going to do with my life? What, what, what is my purpose in life? Who, who am I? See, a lot of this angst that we have about forging identities is that, is that modernity sort of presses in on us and says, you need to, you need to decide who you are. And no, your body doesn't tell you who you are. Your, your parents don't tell you who you are. Your um, society, nothing tells you. You have to discover it from within, and you need to express it. And there's no fixed absolutes, so for whatever you express, you need to, you just need to be you. And if you're not being you, then you're not being authentic. You're being inauthentic. And you need to decide what your personal pronouns are, and you need to decide what, remember what your friend's personal pronouns are, and remember that they can decide the next day that their personal pronouns are going to change, and you need to remember those, and everybody's going, ah, you don't know if I can deal with that much pressure. What am I supposed to do with my life? And all these things are happening. It's, it's a suffering enough world, and people are trying to grab onto something, but as soon as they grab onto an identity, it just kind of like, it's plastic. It just kind of like molds, and then it becomes liquid, and it changes, and there's nothing to grab on in the world, and people are trying to find anything with which to identify so that they can find some sort of meaning in life. And that's why it's so emotional and so important. You are destroying them personally, they feel, if you do not celebrate the identity that they forged for themselves. And you should be weeping for them. That is so sad, is it not? Is it not sad that this culture is destroying our minds, is destroying the minds of our children to think that that is how you find some sort of meaning in this life to forge an identity for yourself and to have somebody celebrate it with you and to become incensed and feel like they're taking your very identity away if they mispronounce or they misidentify or use the wrong pronoun concerning you. It's so sad. You should be weeping for this suffering that's causing this because I want to call your mind to what Paul is, is pointing out here. I want you to imagine for a moment what kind of blessing could God do for you? What could God do for you that would be good? What would be enriching for you? Would be giving you some sort of sense of purpose and giving you some sort of, uh, of, of moving forward in life with all that's going on. And then Paul says, wait a second, I want you to go further than that because you haven't thought about it far enough because God has more in store for you. And then he uses this idea of this, these two things like infinitely more or not or beyond measure. And then he says above that, above that, that's how much God is, has in store for you, how much he has in store for you. Your mind can't contain how much God has in store for you because you are in Christ. You're saying, wait a second, Paul, you're, you're not making any sense. You're saying, you're, you're, it's like saying uh, the, the, the highest, you can, you, beyond what you can think, infinitely more than what you can think, but go beyond that. You see, we are beloved by the infinite creator in Christ. 
And that's what the benediction is. That's what the glory is. And we're sitting there going, what? And that's why how Paul so often ends with these things saying, to God be the glory for this. To God be the glory. I was thinking about that fact. I was, I was contemplating. I was thinking, man, my mind just goes all over the place. And you guys are thinking, yeah, you're right, Rich. It does go all over the place. But, but imagine, imagine if my joy and my future and the hope and all my things were caught up in everything that I could imagine for myself that I wanted to happen that was going to be good for me and my family and for the world around me. And then God said, okay, that's exactly what you get. And I'd be like, wow, that's, that's actually kind of not all that great because what if I made these really bad choices, right? It just, you know, I have a bad night or whatever. And, 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 and so the, 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 when you start to contemplate a God who is pure act, who doesn't need to take in information from him, and we find ourselves caught up in the fact that he has plans for us from all eternity and that somehow our prayers, because all of of time and all of creation is, is fully present and he's purely acting on all these things and we are caught up in this wonderful plan and somehow our prayers are meaningful and all these other things and he has plans for us that exceed what we can possibly imagine, that we try and imagine and then we go further. Just do that later on. I just... I want you to, to, to spend some time contemplating, thinking, okay, I'm going comp- to contemplate the very best thing that God can do. Okay, now I'm going to try and do even better than that, and I'm just going to keep trying to stack on top of it and then conclude with, that's as far as I can go. But I know that what God has in store for me is infinitely more and beyond that than what I can comprehend that he's going to be able to do for me. And then you're able to worship and say, to God be the glory to God be the glory because we're being caught up in this, glor- this, this glorifying act of God. And we are part, as beloved children in Christ, part of this, this tapestry that he's weaving. So that at, in, the, in the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're all going to be sitting there praising God for, his, for the riches of his grace found in us. To see all the times when we were suffering and saying, that's amazing, the tapestry that you gave. Because... I didn't realize that, that the death of that loved one or that trial that you put me through was going to be the thing that caused that and caused that and all these other things that are caught together and our mind's going to be blown and then we're going to think, but I can only see a bit of it and it's just already, it's already too much for me to just keep bowing down. And that's why, that's why when we're reading now and we're reading in Revelation and thinking, how long can the 24 elders bow down before God and keep praising him? It's like thinking at some point people have got to kind of like get back to doing something else that's going to be interesting. And I, I, th- I think that it's, it's, just, it's just like because we're so bound here and we're not caught up in how glorious it's going to be to be in this new heavens and new earth to be freed from all the things that are going to uh, call us away from the contemplation of how glorious God is and to think how amazing it is to be praising him through all eternity. And that's what we're doing here, beloved. It's not all, it's not all speculation here. It's not all, well, wouldn't that be cool if it's true? It is true. 
And that's what we're doing here in the church together because it's the church now that's gathered, that's pressing in together and building each other up and working together towards these ends. And so thank you for working through that with me tonight. And I pray that as you go forward, you might have a sense of that, a sense of that glory and a sense of the excitement of what God is doing in your life and in your lives together as we press in together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time to contemplate the infinite majesty of who you are and to only catch a glimpse of it to catch a glimpse of how much you love us, to catch a glimpse of how much you are doing for us in Christ Jesus. And so animate us, motivate us, give us the strength by your spirit in Christ to be able to continue to press forward and to tell others about this marvelous grace so that we may continue to press in together. In Jesus' name, amen.